Nearly two years ago, the COVID-19 pandemic began. With it, a health and economic crisis of historic proportions. Stimulus checks, enhanced federal unemployment benefits, loans for small businesses. These were just some of the actions that federal policymakers took to try and save the economy from prolonged uncertainty for workers and businesses. Two years later, what has this fiscal response actually accomplished? And what might lawmakers do next as the Omicron variant continues the spread? Welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. We took a break for the holidays and are back to our normal programming now, ready to keep you informed on all the latest in the tax policy world. My name is Jesse Solist, Media Relations Manager here at the Tax Foundation. Today, I'm joined by our colleague, Alex Durante, an economist with our federal tax policy team. Alex, how are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Did you have a good holiday season? I did. Uh, mostly just relaxed. <laughs> That's good. That is very good. So this holiday, like many of the past couple holidays, was interrupted with a small thing uh, called COVID-19. We've got a new surge with the Omicron variant going on. It's been two years with this virus now. And the response from governments has been pretty large. You had a piece recently measuring the differences between the U.S. response to other countries' responses. Big picture, how does the U.S. compare to other countries? What was our fiscal response to this pandemic? Well, our our fiscal response was pretty significant, and we enacted a variety of policies during the pandemic to support both families and businesses. In particular, the U.S. was unique in that we were actually one of the few industrialized countries to offer broad cash assistance to households. So what we did there were basically three rounds of cash payments, starting back in the spring of 2020 as part of the CARES Act, we sent cash payments of 1200 or more, depending on family size, to individuals in the spring of 2020. And then later in that year, in December, we sent individuals and families another $600 or more. Finally, at around March 2021, as part of Biden's America Rescue Plan, uh, we sent another $1,400 in aid in total. And again, some, some larger families received even more than that. So over those three waves, we sent $163 million cash payments to individuals, uh, about 85% of which went to households earning under 100000 a year. So it's a very broad group of families. And in addition to this, uh, we also expanded our unemployment insurance program to capture many people who would normally not be eligible. And then we allowed them to collect benefits for longer periods, and we also increase those benefits. So the government sent out these stimulus checks to individuals and families. They beefed up unemployment. How does this compare to other countries' fiscal response? If I was living in Canada, did I also get a check from whatever their Uncle Sam is up there? (laughs) So other countries did things a little bit differently. So Japan, for instance, did send cash payments around $900 in 2020. But what most other countries did was they actually expanded their already existing welfare programs for low-income families. So those tended to be more targeted because they're aimed at families and individuals that earn below a certain income. That was a different response to what we did here, where we sent more broad-based aid to families and individuals. On top of that, another thing that they did was that they were much more likely to offer assistance to small businesses through loan guarantees or some kind of wage subsidy. For instance, in, in Germany, they were much more focused on incentivizing businesses to keep workers on their payrolls. So what they did there is they had these kind of work sharing agreements where the employer cuts your hours and then your lost wages are fully made up for by the government. Now, we also 
offered a lot of small relief to small businesses here through our Paycheck Protection Program, which was certainly a large component of the spending. But overall, our spending targeted a much broader population and was aimed more at family support rather than just purely uh, business relief. So it's fair to say that the U.S. kind of took a blanket approach to the economy. We're just going to flush it with cash where we can compared to kind of targeting relief we need to be at the most. Is that fair to say? No, I think that's right. And, and I would also add to this as well, and I, and I discussed this in my piece, you know, there was sort of, I think, this perception press at the time that, oh, like, the, the U.S. isn't doing nearly enough compared to other countries. But in fact, if you, if you look at the data, our spending as a percentage of GDP was on the fiscal stimulus in response to the COVID pandemic was 27%, uh, second only to Singapore. And we were only one of 10 countries to spend more than a fifth of our GDP on this relief. So the U.S. had the second largest fiscal response to the pandemic. There's two sides of the pandemic, the economic recession that sparked and the health recession. We're just going to focus on the econ side of things. You're an economist. We're not doctors. We don't need to get into that. But still, saying we had the second largest response, and that was between two administrations, Republican and Democrats, bipartisan bills a few times. So this really was unprecedented in terms of American responses. Oh, no, that's right. It was among the largest fiscal responses in history, uh, much, much larger than the fiscal response to the, the 2008 Great Recession. Now, did this work, Alex? <laughs> well, I think it's pretty clear that if we had not passed those packages uh, in 2020, there would have been much greater human suffering in the U.S. If you recall at the time, I, I know it seems like ancient history for a lot of people, but unemployment in April 2020 skyrocketed to 15%. And then it began to fall as states relaxed some of their lockdowns and capacity restrictions. Uh, the U.S. personal savings rate at the time rose to an all-time high because people had nowhere to really spend the money because most businesses were closed. I and mean, also, I think there's pretty compelling evidence that the Paycheck Protection Program did prevent further layoffs that would have occurred had we not done that and also helped keep many businesses afloat. Having said that, I think that the, the American Rescue Plan, that COVID relief that passed early in 2021 was much uh, less defensible. I mean, if you recall at the time, it seemed pretty clear that we had the solution to the pandemic, the vaccines, and you know, we were preparing to expand access to those. And I think you could have argued at the time that we should have been spending more resources on ensuring that the vaccines at the time could have been distributed adequately. And, you know, of course, I mean, around then, the, the economy had been growing. It seemed clear that states were poised for full reopenings if they had not done so already. There were some economists at the time sound the alarm on uh, the expansion of the unemployment insurance program. They were concerned that it would slow uh, labor market growth. And I think there's new compelling evidence from uh, Michael Strain over at the American Enterprise Institute that actually you know, extending those benefits to September 2021 did actually slow labor market growth. Another thing that economists, some, have been ringing the alarm on, but inflation, that seems to be the word of this quarter, of this year. It's a new year. I keep forgetting that. I forgot 2021 happened. I keep thinking last year is 2020. But inflation, some politicians blame the packages for the current inflationary state we're at. Others don't. What's going on with inflation right now? Well, as in most things in economics, uh, the answer is it's complicated. <laughs> so what's happening right now is you have both factors on the supply side, avid demand side, influencing inflation. So you know, I think we would expect COVID-related supply chain issues and worker shortages uh, to put upward pressure on prices. 
you know, if you recall last month, we had a lot of backlogs, the ports due to some of these issues. It's important to note here, and this is probably the subject for another podcast, but many of these supply chain issues actually predate COVID. So a lot of them are related to inadequate infrastructure or certain government regulations that reduce port efficiency. So I think it would be a mistake to just lump everything on the supply side, even though that's clearly playing a role. And what's interesting is that if you look you know, internationally, like while it is true that inflation is rising pretty much everywhere in the world right now, uh, it's, it's rising much faster in the U.S. Uh, so for instance, the, the Eurozone average right now is about 4% for inflation, whereas the U.S., it's around 7%. And, you know, as I noted earlier, our fiscal stimulus was much higher than these countries. I would also add, if you look at the, the patterns of inflation, too, they're quite different as well. So what's happening in the U.S. is a lot of the inflation is, in, is occurring in the, the durable goods sector. And in Europe and some of these other countries, you haven't really seen that shift in consumer preferences uh, from services to durable goods. Could you define a durable good? Yeah, sure. So like a, a refrigerator, a car. Um, okay. People are redoing their houses now. They're buying new things. That's right. So I think when you look at these differences across countries and the patterns of inflation, I think it becomes more challenging to argue that that fiscal monetary stimulus isn't playing a role and it's all on the supply side. I think our demand side policies are, are clearly affecting the trajectory of inflation right now. So the inflation storm, you could argue, was coming and then a pandemic decided to help. Well, what I would say is, again, if you go back and look at the, the issues we had last month at the ports, I mean, the main driver of the issue was that demand um, was, was just so high. If you look at you know, the quantities of goods that were coming through, I mean, they were, they were much higher than they were you know, the year previously. And you know, our, our infrastructure was, was just not able to accommodate this surge in demand. So because of inflation... There's going to be a lot on Capitol Hill who say we don't need more relief. But because of Omicron right now, there's going to be some on Capitol Hill saying, hey, there's need for more stimulus. There's need for more you know, help for businesses, student loan payments, et cetera. Do you think Congress is going to do another relief package? Is there anything in the works right now due to Omicron? I think it's possible that the appetite to pass another relief package will increase. Um, although I think it was just yesterday, a senior by an administration official basically through cold water on this idea. I think the reason is that it's sort of less clear uh, what the impact of Omicron is going to be on the overall economic activity. I mean, I think it's very likely this winter it's going to depress some activities in the service sector, particularly in tourism. I can imagine them crafting a relief package that maybe offers some assistance to small businesses in those sectors. But I think it's pretty unlikely that we pass anything comparable to what we passed last year or even in 2020. I think we have to recognize that we're very much in a different position than we were two years ago. At the onset of the pandemic, our relief packages were designed to incentivize people to stay home and provide assistance to them you know, while the business where they worked was closed due to COVID. Because again, most of the economy is open right now. It's, it's growing. I, I, think it's, I think it's less clear to me that that kind of support that we had in 2020 and even earlier this year is, is necessary right now. Gotcha. And of course, I mean, it is an election year here in the United States. There might be pressure from voters or from even the president's own caucus to kind of just do something to say we didn't stand still during Omicron. Stands Congress. Is there anything that Biden could do? 
Certainly the one thing that Biden can do on his own that he doesn't need Congress uh, to vote on is is repealing Trump tariffs, which have now they're, they're the Biden tariffs because they've been extended under his administration. And the tariffs themselves are, are probably only modestly contributing to price inflation, but there's really no evidence that they've yielded any of their promised benefits. And again, there's been many research papers that have looked at their impact on the economy, and they've pretty much have all universally found that the tariffs have hurt both businesses and consumers. In terms of other policies, I would refer uh, listeners to my colleague, Alex Marjano, who's written uh, several pieces on how we could improve the tax code to boost uh, supply chain resiliency. And uh, I think some of those policies uh, would go a long way towards aiding economic growth. My old boss always used to say, tariffs for taxes. It's as simple as that. Alex, this was your your deduction debut, correct? Yes. That's excellent. Um, If folks want to learn more about your work, where could they find you on social media? Uh, My Twitter handle is Alex underscore Durante with another underscore after that. That's great. And you can follow me on Twitter at Solis Jesse. The Deduction is produced by Dan Carvajal. To learn more about the Tax Foundation and the Deduction, visit us online at taxfoundation.org slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Tax Foundation, as well as on Twitter at DeductionPod. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on The Deduction.